Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We've got a great guest all the way from Malibu, California. She's the host of the Real Wealth Podcast and co-CEO of the Real Wealth Network. Welcome to the show, Kathy Fetke. Oh, thank you so much for having me back. Great to have you here again and love when we get together. There's so many things we could talk about, but you know what? The decade is almost over. The end of the decade is upon us. What are you feeling right now? Well, this is a really important time to make plans for the new uh, the new decade coming. Uh, we're wrapping up a decade. That's shocking, isn't it? It is. Entering into a new one, but the next month is really a good time for planning. Uh, and I'm seeing a lot of things happening in the marketplace that concern me. I also see a lot of opportunity. It's a time for caution and to be able to look at your portfolio and determine what's the best performing assets in your portfolio and what's maybe a good time to release, to sell, and maybe exchange into something else. I love that. There's a lot of money on the sidelines. People talk about that, but it's really hard to internalize what that means. For me, it means that people are willing to pay too much. You know, I Mm -hmm. see a lot of things that I would choose to bid on or have bid on and lost simply because people are willing to pay way too much uh, for those particular assets. Yeah, I just looked at a multifamily deal uh, in the Dallas area. And what I didn't know is that in Dallas, there's so much competition right now that your money goes hard before you've even done your due diligence, at least in this case. And there was no way we were going to do that. Second, The only way the numbers would work is if it was highly leveraged. I'm not comfortable with that. And based on the fact that the pro forma only projected increased rents, which to me was not really achievable, it looked like it was a a million dollars overpriced. And uh, so we walked, but other people are moving forward with it, uh, I think paying more. So there's definitely some concern that I have that you know, there's, there, like you said, there's a lot of money chasing deals. A lot of people are paying too much or just don't even know that they're paying too much. And maybe that's more concerning. Absolutely. You know, I see a lot of graphs where people simply project increasing rents forever and that may happen. And if it does, that's great, but it, it's not something we can predict. We can't predict the future. So we take a much more conservative stance when we do our future planning. Yeah. So, and that doesn't mean that we're not active at Real Wealth Network. We are definitely active. Uh, We are still building subdivisions in areas where there's tremendous need for housing. One of those areas is Reno, Nevada. It's a mountain area that's difficult to find buildable lots, yet there's a lot of business moving there from the Silicon Valley just four hours away, just a 45-minute flight away. Uh, so lots of job growth, lots of population growth, and they're high-paying jobs, but not enough housing. So we're bringing in subdivisions of, I don't know, two to 300 homes when there's a need for thousands. So it, it, it just makes sense for us. But we are also being extremely cautious because you just don't know what's coming. We could have a boom and we could have the opposite. You know, we could move into recession. It's been very difficult to predict. There's a lot of factors out there that we can't control. And we know that we're at the end of a very long, maybe not the end, but it's been 10 years of a pretty good expansion. So in a lot of areas, prices have hit a ceiling. And I think that's what people don't understand is that Prices have gone up. Rents have gone up for 10 years. But at some point, 
the affordability is no longer there. You just can't push rents up forever if people can't afford to pay. And it's the same with home prices. So even in Reno, we're noticing that our higher end product is not moving as quickly as the affordable. And and my builder partner, he's only ever built high end homes. That's his niche. And and so we've had to uh, refigure it, you know, reconfigure everything. And we are building affordable homes now. We're having smaller floor plans that, that go, that rise higher. Some, in some cases, three-story homes so that we can fit more on a smaller pad to, to be able to produce more affordable housing because that's what's, that's where the demand is today. I agree with that so strongly. In fact, we've seen even, my gosh, so many markets, my home market here in Ottawa, Canada, we, we're seeing price compression where you know people talk about the averages. They might say, well, prices went up an average of 7.6% last year, but that actually hides the real truth, which is prices at the bottom of the market might've gone up by 20 or 25%, and at the top of the market, they might've even been flat. So the averages actually mask what's really happening. Yeah, it's a really it's a really good point. Um, so you know we're moving forward now on our builds. We we I think I've told you this before. I have been uncertain about the future for a long time. <laughs> so we've been super cautious. Maybe when we didn't need to be as cautious, but before President Trump was elected, you know we were predicting a recession. And when he got elected, we saw a reversal of that. Right, a booming economy, a booming stock market and a continuation of growth. So again, a lot of people didn't see that. Some did. But when that happened, it's like, okay, we're still going to move forward, but cautiously. So when we buy land, I mean, land, let's face it, it is risky. It comes with risk because you're dealing with politicians, local planning commissioners, and and you know they may or may not be pro-growth. So or there just may be new building codes that were you know we didn't expect or you know rising material costs or labor costs i mean it's definitely a risky business so we are buying the land where we raise enough money through our syndications to acquire the land to complete the entitlements we don't close on the land until we have our entitlements in place although we'll be in a purchase you know sale agreement and then we raise enough money to also build out the first phase of homes and um, and then use the profits from that to to build out the second phase because we're too scared to get a construction loan. The bottom line is if you can't sell enough homes to meet the uh, debt obligation on that construction loan, you could get in big trouble. I mean, you can't be late on payments. The bank is forced to foreclose on you even if you have a good project. So we're just going in. I mean, it does. It's hard to do and almost impossible to find something that pencils with no debt. But that's just how we're protecting ourselves in this kind of uncertain time. I like that strategy. And in fact, earlier this week, we did an episode talking about new development. And there was a project in San Francisco that was just approved for about 700 units. Uh, Originally started out as a 533 unit, if memory serves me correctly, uh, single family homes. And it took five years to get through that entitlement process in San Francisco. How does that compare with the process you went through in Reno? <laughs> Let's see. I think, well, we bought the land. See, the, the reason we got the good deal on the land is that the people who purchased it before, uh, it took too long for them to get their entitlements and they had debt. They had to take on a hard money loan and 
that loan was due and they hadn't re received their entitlements yet. So we came in and we got a great deal and we relieved them from that loan. Uh, so again, taking on debt on, on land entitlement is not a great idea um, unless you get to be the one buying, buying the land afterwards. So um, for us, we got the entitlements within months. Uh, that, but I'll tell you what, we have another project where we bought a 250 unit apartment building across from Google in Mountain View, where there's a desperate need for housing. Yeah. We were going to increase density, density to 800 units and the city was behind it. But the masses, the angry mob came in and, and made all these demands and didn't want that kind of growth. And yet at the same time, they're demanding affordable housing. It's very confusing. We had already offered 30% affordable housing, but because of the, again, the angry mob that they, they don't want development, but they want affordable housing. I don't know how you can do both or you know can't do both, but um, we were delayed by about a year and that really cost us. So it, it's been a difficult project where we've got a buyer, but it took much longer. And in that holding time, uh, we didn't get the kind of profits we were expecting. Even though, even though we're selling it for $40 million more than we paid. <laughs> so, a little frustrating. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah, we keep hearing about in how certain communities, the, uh, like you said, the angry mob or the, or the NIMBY squad is out there and very active <laughs> and well-organized. And, uh, in fact, we're experiencing it as well. We're looking at another project ourselves. Uh, it's not, not a very large project, uh, but we'll be doing a land assembly and, you know, looking for greater height and some variances on setbacks and so on in order to maximize the buildable area. But here too, we're very mindful of the fact that in order to get something, we're going to have to offer something up in return. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the things I tell people, because people know that we're in land development and they'll come up to me all the time and say, hey, I got a piece of land I was looking at in California. And I'll say, mm, no, you know, we're not doing anything in California anymore. Sadly, I'm born and raised here. I live here. I love California, but I will not do business here anymore. Um, the new regulations coming out in 2020 are volumes upon volumes upon volumes, even though there has been some effort from our new governor to kind of deregulate. That is not actually what's happening in 2020. I mean, it's, it's new books, just thick, thick books of regulations and new code, some of which it's uh, new solar on new homes. Yeah, again, new homes requiring solar and uh, no gas stoves anymore. I mean, there's just like so many new complications. So no, we're not doing anything else in California. We're only building in areas that want us there. And also, um, same with rentals. I mean, there are still some great opportunity to to buy rental property. There's a lot of people just starting out who just want to know, what do I do first? And in my opinion, just buying a one single family rental as your first thing, that's a great way to learn how to become an investor. And there's still opportunity, I think, in the Southeast. That's where uh, huge, I think it's 10 million people I better get my stats right. I have it on a graph, but a very large portion of demographic shift is moving towards the Southeast. So still some great opportunity in the area between Tampa and Orlando and Atlanta, uh, some opportunity in Houston and in the outskirts of Dallas. Uh, we like parts of Alabama where you can still buy one to four units, get conventional finance, get a good property manager and own a, a rental property 
and get in the game and not have to take on, you know, some big risk at a time when there's some uncertainty. What's not uncertain, which is what's, what's pretty certain, is that there's a growing demand for rentals, and less of an ability for people to buy a home. So that, that means the rental market is going to be booming probably for the next five years. Yeah, we agree with that as well. So as people are putting together their strategies, hopefully before the start of the new decade, what are you focusing on? Um, you know, like I said, I all of the data that I look at, and we look at lots of data, is that there is tremendous growth towards the Southeast. And that's because they're lower income tax states, they're warmer climates, uh, there's jobs that pay enough that you can afford to live. You, you can get a $100,000 salary entry-level job in the San Francisco Bay Area and still be living in poverty. <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's so difficult to live in high-priced markets. So with 10,000 people turning 65 every day, you know, they're moving to where they can afford to retire, where there's low state income tax, low property tax, and still a, a nice lifestyle. But you also have, you know, this massive millennial boom. The, the largest generation today, they are forming households uh, in record numbers. And we have 10 over, what, no, 25 million more people than we had during the last downturn in the US. We have 10 million new households. So, but homes have not kept up. New homes have not kept up with all this growth. So there's tremendous demand for housing, not enough housing out there. And a lot of people who have so much debt, these millennials have so much debt, they can't afford to buy a home or they can't qualify for a loan, even if they could afford the payment, the debt. The debt to income ratios are just not there. They can't do it. So you've got, again, household growth, wage growth, but you don't have enough housing and these people can't really afford to buy. So again, rental trends. We're seeing a huge trend towards people wanting to rent their home or an apartment. And you know what's the fastest growing demographic for rentals? It's, it's the seniors, which is shocking. You know, that's not shocking to me at all. Uh, in fact, one of the products that we're looking to build in our local market here is something called a concierge apartment, which fills the gap between, say, a condo product and an independent living product. So, you know, people may have downsized their house in the suburbs. They want to use their equity to use that as an annuity as opposed to tying it up into another piece of real estate. And they'd rather pay a rental fee on a monthly basis, but they want—they're they're not ready to go into independent living. They don't want to eat, uh, you know, cafeteria style with food on steamer trays. So they're—they're they're fine <laughs> living at home. And at the same time, they want to be—they want a condo quality product without the ownership of a condo. Uh, so mm. there's definitely a segment there that's uh, where there's a need for those folks that want to downsize and want to use their equity to live off of, rather than necessarily tie it up. Absolutely. Yeah. Lots of opportunity. You just got to be in the right place. You got to pay the right price. Always understand whatever it is you're investing in. The mistakes I've made in the past were because I did things I didn't understand completely. So uh, whatever it is you choose, just dive into it, read every book you can, go to every educational event that you can, listen to as many podcasts as you can, and really become an expert on that topic so that you can truly take advantage of the opportunities that are out there and avoid uh, what I'm seeing a lot of other people doing, which is, again, paying too much and uh, making assumptions that maybe they shouldn't be. I love it, Kathy. Well, if folks want to learn more and they want to get in touch, what's the best way? 
realwealthnetwork.com. We have lots of free webinars and education there. I give my 2020 predictions. And uh, again, it's free to join realwealthnetwork.com. And then of course, my podcast is The Real Wealth Show. Terrific. Well, for the listeners at home, thank you so much, Kathy, for joining us. Great to connect with you again. Have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. 